This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Wildcatter Nation? Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are doing great. This week, we sat down with Kelly Belcher of Silicon Valley Bank to hear about how Kelly set up their energy tech division here in Houston. We had met Kelly a while back and wanted to get him on the show to kind of tell his story because SVB doesn't really operate like a traditional bank. And they're probably one of the only banks that actually bank the quote unquote unbankable, aka startups. Uh, So I hope you guys really enjoy this one. But really quickly, before we get into the episode, this episode is brought to you by Well Database. Now, if you don't know who Well Database is, you've probably been living under a rock because they're easily the fastest growing data platform in the industry. We hear complaints all the time from people saying that their data providers are either too expensive or they're low quality or it's incomplete data sets. It isn't easy to use or maybe some combination of a few of those. Well, Database provides super high quality data sets for production data, completions data, frac data, permitting, and more, all packaged together in a single interface with some great analytics and tools to make your life even easier. And now they're disrupting the space even more by recently launching their free plan, which offers well-leveled data completely free. We've used these guys for years and have nothing but good things to say. You can check out the episode we did with their founder and CEO, John Farrell. I think he was somewhere in the 30s. I don't know the exact episode. Uh, but we also recently recorded a live demo on the bullpen on our site, uh, digitalwildcatters.com forward slash bullpen. Or if you want to reach out to these guys directly, just go to welldatabase.com and check them out for yourself. What is going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We made it to our office. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised we weren't going to... I thought the, all the roads were going to be blocked off, all the protests and stuff, but we're here. Yeah, yesterday, 60,000 60, protesters, man. It was wild. The videos are, I mean, just crazy, peaceful protests. Downtown was just full from like George R. Brown all the way to Discovery Green. It was insane. Like one of the largest ones, huh? Oh, yeah, by far. That's crazy. So, yeah, we were able to make it to the office today. Um, and our friend... Kelly from Silicon Valley Bank was able to make it. Yeah, here. Man, made it, made it in. Yeah, appreciate yeah. you coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we were just chatting a little bit before we started recording. Um, you know, I know who Silicon Valley Bank is, but I don't have a clue what you guys do. So this show will be good because I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there in the startup ecosystem that maybe have an interface with Silicon Valley Bank. So why don't you tell us just, you know, real quick, high level, um, you know, Silicon Valley Bank's mission, what you guys are, and then we'll dive into it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that we are a bank, but we don't operate and act like a bank, which I think is what is the largest part of our value proposition. When we go into a room and we meet with a management team, one of the things that I try to convince them of and show them is that we are not one of the big box banks that in in all aspects of the way we operate. Um, And we like to stay under the radar. So I don't ever envision our team here in Houston becoming a trillion dollar entity. Um, I don't think SVB wants that either. Um, And we've, we've, you know, for the last 35 years, we've very much flown under the radar of the traditional banking industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it actually wasn't until recently where we crossed this, you know, $50 billion threshold where um, the Fed start to kind of put more scrutiny on to you as, hey, you're actually a real big bank. Um, and, and so that does create its own challenges, but we've always been able to keep our culture as, you know, kind of the startup bank. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, we're never going to go after companies that are 30 years old and have, you know, consistent cash flow. I mean, and, and that would just blow some bankers' minds. Like, how do you <laughs> bank somebody that doesn't have cash flow? But for us, that doesn't matter 
because we want to we want to support entrepreneurs who are just getting kicked off, um, that are raising capital, that are burning capital. Because to me, burning capital means you're growing as long as you're burning it on the right things. Yeah. Um, and in the oil and gas industry, cash burn for startups is huge. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the one thing that we saw when we started thinking about building this was these entrepreneurs can't go to a traditional bank and open an account and have it operate to best fit their needs. Yeah. And so when we started thinking about, okay, well, what are we going to do differently? The first thing we said was, well, we're, we're just not going to be one of those, one of those banks. Um, we're not going to charge really excessive fees on things that don't matter. Like you're not going to pay a hundred bucks to send a wire. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Um, but that, that's, that's kind of the behind it's the one scenes. Of my biggest beefs, like <laughs> the banks that we've used, like Amogee and Chase and like, why do I have to pay so much money to send wires? Yeah. I mean, it's just <laughs> clicking a button and another yeah. bank receives it on the other. I don't, I don't, I'm not a bank. I've never been a banker until five years ago starting this. And, and to me, I just don't, under, I don't understand how any of that yeah. I mean, it's, it's 30 seconds and whatever, even if it's $25, that's a lot of money per hour. Yeah. Especially um, in, the, in the days of like Venmo and <clears throat> cash app and all the other things, Bitcoin. Yeah. You're seeing transfers happen immediately for, yeah. for nothing. And yet a wire transfer is expensive and it takes yeah. days. Bitcoin, I can send five grand for like a few cents. Yeah. Like, exactly. I'm not going to pay 25, 50 yeah. bucks for a wire. Yeah. It's because <laughs> they don't care about that transaction. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if there's enough of them, that two cents adds up over time. Yeah. And that's kind of our thing. It's like, okay we're a volume shop. We bank, you know, 10,000 different companies across the, the U S and into China and the UK. Um, so for us, it's a volume play. It's not that we don't, we don't need a small amount of clients and then charge excessive fees on certain things. Um, we support the entire ecosystem across the world. So there's, there's thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs who open accounts with us. Um, and, and they're, they're happy, you know, being part of a bank that doesn't have branches. So you can't walk into my office and deposit a check. And in fact, if you do, it's because it's counterfeit. So we know that, you know, when the guy <laughs> knocks on the door and says, Hey, I want to deposit this. It's like, yeah, let me have that. I'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm going to call somebody to come escort you down. Um, just because we're not, we're a Branson's bank. Everything's yeah. done on your app. Um, it's very 21st century. You, you deposit things, you, you move money around, you operate everything on, on an app or on a web-based platform. Um, why, totally are we not, why are we not using Silicon Valley Bank for wall cutters? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we have to switch now. Should be. Yeah, love That's, to have you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know where to find us. We're right down the street. It's, so. made, it's made it worth it for Kelly. He got a client. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, can I go home now? Yeah. <laughs> do you know much about the like the founding story <clears throat> of SVB? I do a little bit. Um, so so again, I'm, I'm not a 20-year veteran of the bank, but yeah. I'll, I'll share with you sort of- um, How long have they been around? So it's a little over 35 years, so okay. 38, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, really, that's really at the inception of like of actual Silicon Valley, though. Yeah, it, it, okay. and that's what it started for. Yeah. There were there were a group of people out there who were inventing chips, microchips, yep. and banks couldn't understand what these things were, why they were being produced. They didn't know how to help them. They didn't want to bank them because they certainly didn't want to give them loans because they didn't understand what they were doing. Um, so, so SVB kind of started as a few entrepreneurs that came out of that industry, wanted to start a bank. Um, the funny thing that they did was, and they kind of deviated from that tech and I'll, and I'll back up a second. So SVB will follow our clients around and, and that's going to play into what I'm about to tell you. So, so we deviated a little bit from banking startups in the Valley and started doing things like financing movies and financing churches and financing, you know, 
music and all these different things because entrepreneurs financing the unfinanceable had an interest in it and nobody else was doing it. And we said, we'll do it. I mean, what, what's it going to hurt? You know? Um, so got into that. Um, those failed miserably for the most part (laughs) from what I'm told. Um, and then we kind of got back to our core. Um, but, but then some interesting things started to happen over the span of those last 35 years where, a lot of these entrepreneurs were selling their companies for massive multiples, walking away with millions and millions of dollars. And when you're in California, especially in the Bay Area, the first thing that pops in your head is, you know what, I should go open a winery. Um, and so <laughs> SVB followed these some of these guys into the into Northern California, into Napa and Sonoma Valley, um, and started banking wineries. Um, and have done that successfully now for you know the last 20 plus years. Um, so if you become a client, nice wine for Christmas. So just throwing it out there. (laughs) Yeah. So that's really interesting. You know, that like, especially in the early stages of Silicon Valley, you guys are taking, you know, SVB is taking these high risk. Um, you know, the reason that these companies are unbankable is because they are high risk, right? Uh, high rate of failure. So how do you guys, how does SVB, you know, kind of justify, banking these high risk startups, tech companies, uh, or just clients in general, and you're taking lower fees because most banks would say, Hey, if we're taking this amount of risk, we're going to increase fees, right? on all these different transactions. So how do you guys tolerate that risk and justify it? Yeah, it's a great question. And, And you're absolutely right. I mean, for, for the risk that we take, technically we should charge triple what we do on any of our you know, whether it's venture debt or, or, or lines of credit, but, but the, the whole thesis behind SVB and, and you can go back to its inception is, and I, and I was, I was telling Jake this earlier, like the only, some banks only underwrite to the business or they underwrite to the cash flow, and, and that's really where it stops. Like SVB starts at banking from a different angle. So we oftentimes partner up with the investor community, um, whether it's venture capitalists or the corporates or the private equity folks. Um, and we partner with them and share deal flow and share ideas. We help them raise funds and we bank those funds as well um, with our with our commercial banking platform. Um, and so to me, if I can sit down with a group of investors and we have a common interest in a technology and they tell me, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to fund the series a, we have enough capital to be a part of or lead the series B. And then we'll keep our pro rata through the life cycle of this business. To me, that's better than cash flow that mm-hmm. could go away. Yeah. And so I'm more willing to partner with somebody who's telling me we're going to keep this company afloat because it means a lot to our portfolio and all of our LPs know that we're investing in this. That that to me is better assurance than than having you know heavy asset bases or cash flow or other things that typical banks look at. So, whenever whenever a company is funded, we will we will typically come in at that same entry point, or we could come in earlier and then we're just super excited when they get funded because then we can do some more creative things around the venture yeah. debt products. Yeah, can you talk to us a little bit about venture debt and explain mm-hmm. what that is? Um, just in theory, what is venture debt? Because a lot of people aren't familiar with the term. So, can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So banking's not brain surgery. So what I'll what I'll tell you. Here, like you could go and start a bank, and I'm probably giving away a little bit of our, our of our secret sauce. But um, so venture debt is is an augmented source of financing. 
Um, so think about um, a company, and you guys will probably go through this as you as you you know have multiple iterations of of your of your business here. Um, so when you raise a Series A, we can't do it typically with seed just because there's there's still some risk there um, of execution and things that we want to kind of see move in the Series mm-hmm. A. So when a company goes out and they raise a Series A, they will typically bring in um, a VC or a CVC or and maybe a PE, but not not primarily that doesn't really happen until like later in the life stage. Um, but when they bring in one of those companies, they will fund typically the next 12 to 18 months of runway for that business in that particular series round. Mm -hmm. Um, where SVB comes in, we can say, Hey, that's great. But what if things accelerate to the point where you burn through that and then you, the, the worst case scenario for you is that you have to go back to the market, go through the valuation exercise again, and maybe not get the capital at the terms that you want. So why not allow us to augment that equity with venture debt? It's non-dilutive to a certain extent. We don't we don't take ownership as as a VC would. Our our warrant position is very very small. Um, in fact, it it's it's buried in the cap table so far that you can't even see it. Um, but it's 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 good capital and it'll give you an extra 12 months and it has call options on it. So you don't have to draw it all on day one. You can draw it out over, you know, 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. There's an interest only component. So we're not forcing you to draw and have this big, you know, debt service payment yeah. immediately at day one. Um, because we know once the venture debt gets on the balance sheet, um, there's typically a, a lag when the company needs it. And they need it for the right reason. So we're not we're not bummed out if they draw it because if they come to us, it's because they're accelerating their growth. Yeah, and so that's fine. Um, it's almost like a line of credit, isn't it? I mean, if you don't have to draw it all at one time, if there's options on it, and mm-hmm. you're just drawing, you know, say that you're drawing a bit, you know, three months down the road, six months, nine months, um, it just gives you access to capital if you need to scale or if you have high growth. Right. Exactly. And that's what it's designed to do. And 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 so you know we we don't. We don't want people, you know, taking a hundred thousand dollars here and then two weeks later calling us again and uh, mm-hmm. I need two hundred thousand. It's more like, you know, we'll we'll let you draw twenty five percent of it. Yeah. Or you can draw it all day one. It's fine. Um, if you want to, if you want to tranche it, we'll do twenty five percent, fifty percent, whatever, yeah. whatever we come to an agreement on. And it's basically just built around what the financial forecast looks like. So, um, how much of the market are you taking? What what is your G and A doing? How many people do you need to hire? Um, what are you spending this capital on? Um, at the end of the day, this this capital is not pegged to anything. But as long as we understand what what you're going to go spend it on, you're not buying an airplane or something. Um, it, it's fine. It's like, Hey man, yeah. down payment on the G six. Yeah. It's like, yeah I, I meet the guy at Starbucks, you know, 10 months later, he's got a Ferrari. It's like, well, no, money went to a good thing. I guess. <laughs> at least he's happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, it's really a very, very, um, tailored product um, yeah. and can be, you know, kind of, pushed and pulled in different directions to suit, yeah. suit is the, the business. Is the venture debt where you're you're taking capital that was already raised from the VCs and you're using that as collateral on the debt? Is that, mm. no? It's it's it, uh, it's not collateral. Um, so collateral would mean we could go back to the fund and say, hey, you owe us money yeah. because the company went under. It, so mm-hmm. if the company goes under, we still lose that money. Um, but we're making a bet that the co- these, these equity providers are going to do the right thing, keep the company afloat. They're not going to let it sink. 
I mean, and if they do, we have a senior lien, which means in the tech world that you own nothing because most of these companies have IP that's just like poof, yeah. you know, vanishes <laughs> in the wind. Um, there's, so there's no asset. Yeah, to really claim, I mean, what right? I, like if I were to bank you, I said, oh, I'll go, I'll go take their microphones and you know, yeah. get a portion of my million dollars. That, you know? um, so that that's a pretty common you know um, question. But so so no, there's no there's no um, recourse to the fund, um, which is why the equity and the board actually like that because we can't come after them. We'll, what we'll typically do um, and knock on what haven't we haven't. Had had any of these things blow up. Um, but what we would typically do is sit down and say, okay, what, what's the plan for the business? Is there a transaction? Are you guys going to fund it? Um, what are we going to do here? Because by the way, like there's senior debt on the balance sheet that we need to figure out. Yeah. Um, and, and if you talk to people in the Bay area or, or in the Northeast, they'll tell you, um, it's very much an amicable discussion about how do we get the debt out um, whether it's a recap or some sort of, yeah. um, we can do, you know, some, some pretty creative things, um, to, to work that debt out. Interesting. Um, and so we wouldn't ever, I don't think in the history of SVB, have they ever gone and taken the keys away from a company, which yeah. is another part of our value proposition. So when I talk to entrepreneurs, it's like, I don't want to own your IP. Um, I don't want to own your asset because I don't know what to do with it. If I took ownership of it, like I can't, you know, software program that's built on a SaaS model, um, doing AI and IOT, like what am I going to do that's what with that? That's gas banking's running yeah. in. You know, you get first lien on an asset. Okay. Now you own the asset. Yeah. What the hell do you do with this asset? Yeah. Yeah. Banks aren't op- oil and gas operators, right? Yeah. So. You put it in the newspaper and try to sell it yeah. like you would, a, you know, a, a bulldozer. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to work very well. Um, so it's just a different way of thinking. So I got a question <clears throat> that's way out in left field, but just kind of running through the story of SVB, you know, know, taking these clients that were unbankable and, you know, kind of high risk companies. And one area that I see that in now is the hemp industry and marijuana Mm -hmm. industry. And a lot of these, um, you know, whether it's the actual hemp itself or whether it's, you know, smoking devices, they're unbankable. And that's the biggest Mm -hmm. problem in the industry is that a lot of the technology and consumer products can't scale because they can't get access to banks. What's y'all's take on that? Are y'all looking at the hemp industry at all? Is that, is that too much for you guys? So I got a funny story that I'll, that I'll (laughs) share. So <clears throat> so I've been I've been with SVD, SVB now for almost five years, and and so it's a very eclectic place to work. Everybody's super chilled out. Yeah, you know we don't get excited about too much. Nothing yeah. rattles our cages. <laughs> um, but we 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 banked a lighting company in Austin, and I'm not going to give away their name, but but they would laugh at this too. Um, and it was doing okay, and we didn't have any problems with them. They were following the rules of, of banking. Um, we got a call from a, a partner bank that was um, taking on the other end of a transaction from SVB. And they were like, hey, um, uh, do you know anything about this company called Big Buddha Belly? And we were, <laughs> and we were like, uh, no. Um, what What's for what? And they were like, well, your client is receiving funds from them and like moving it over here to pay one of our clients. And we flagged it. And so then we had to go down this rabbit hole. And so this is like right when we started the energy tech practice. So terrible timing to have to go to executive management and be like this company called big Buddha belly that make that clearly is selling and distributing marijuana (laughs) is buying lights from one of our clients. And we've got to figure out what to do. And I remember the call distinctly with our legal team and, and several other important people at SVB. And they were like, well, 
um, it's not illegal really. Um, and then, you know, the attorney, the, the general counsel is like, yeah, we're not going to touch that. Um, and so, <laughs> the, so the general attorneys always suck yeah. the fun out of everything. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, um, it, we would very much love to bank it, yeah. but until the federal laws change, we can't, yeah, we you're can't just dependent it. on federal yeah. laws, can't operate yeah. off of state laws, but, but state banks, there are certain state banks in Colorado and California and, and I don't, I don't know who they are. I'm just, this is just whispers yeah. that are, they're able to, to bank those companies. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was far out there, but I was just kind of thinking because I know that's yeah. a problem. And you mentioned, um, when you guys started the energy practice, uh, for SVB, uh, when was that? So that would have been, um, the, the thought process started in 14. I was still in a previous career. Um, I met a guy, um, who was with SVB in Austin at a, at an industry event. Um, we hit it off really well, probably drank too much and came up with this crazy idea that, um, SV needed an office in Houston. Um, and so we, I guess I, I was hired in December of 15. Um, there were, the team was built out. There were two people that started around the same time, maybe a few weeks before that. Um, and that was our core team of three. Um, the bank officially blessed us doing this kind of at the end of 14. Okay. Um, and so, um, together with my input, um, there was a white paper written to executive management, um, that was, um, you know, sort of blessed and said, okay, here's, here's what we do. Um, and it's important to note that, that for the 10 years prior to this, SVB had a very, very healthy and thriving clean tech practice. So, um, I don't like to use the word clean tech cause it insinuates that what we all do is dirty, dirty. tech. <laughs> um, but, but clean tech is a good way to describe it because it encompasses things like wind and solar and batteries, um, autonomous vehicle technology, mm -hmm. food technology, agriculture technology. Um, all of those things were in this bucket called clean tech. Um, and then there was an opportunity that was being missed, but certain people around SVB were seeing these things, especially in Austin, like seeing energy technology, traditional energy technology, and they didn't know what to do with it. And so SVB said, well, if there's, if there's an opportunity, let's try it. Um, but you better go hire somebody that knows what the hell they're doing or you're going to lose your shit. And so, um, that's where I kind of came into the picture. Um, because I was not a banker. I came from the industry. Um, and they had the SVB culture. My two colleagues had the SVB culture down, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't know how to bank <laughs> companies. I didn't, I knew what balance, you know, I knew how to manipulate balance sheets and things yeah. like that from the old days at Merrill. Um, and so it was a, it was a good marriage of them having the, the path through SVB to get things done. And then me telling them, you don't want to do that or let's do this. Yeah. Um, having the domain thing. experience yeah. of the industry. What was your career before SVB? Talk yeah, so, a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, so I'm born and raised in West Texas. Right. Um, uh, Odessa was okay. born there. I'm um, from Midland. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> parents both are Permian Panthers, um, yep. high school sweethearts. Um, do you know and, what year they graduated? Yeah. Dad was, um, 70. I don't want to, he's probably going to listen. So I feel bad. Um, <laughs> Dad was 76. <laughs> yeah. Mom was 78, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So maybe around the same. Yeah. My dad graduated from Lee right around okay. that time. And yeah. then, yeah, my mom yeah. was Permian Panther. They probably so. threw beers at each other. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. yeah. In the parking lot. For sure. Um, yeah. I'll have to ask him, hey, you know this guy? Yeah. Um, does he look familiar? Um, yeah. So, so born and raised out there. Um, dad was um, with various iterations of what eventually became, became Anadarko for I think 42 years he worked for them. Um, and so I 
I wasn't working in a lot of these downturns, but I was definitely living it mm-hmm. um, through the 80s and into the 90s. Um, and then, yeah, I went to tech um, to do my undergrad and grad school. And then, like a lot of my colleagues, um, going into a job market where there wasn't a whole lot to do at the time, um, I joined Merrill Lynch and and um, and sort of started working in their advisory practice. What was your, did you go for petroleum engineering or finance? What did you finance. go for? Finance. Okay. Yeah, finance and economics. Okay. Um, and then an MBA in finance as okay. well. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I spent some time in Philadelphia before that, um, um, working, um, doing consulting. And I was on a plane, you know, kind of four weeks out of the month and hated yeah. that. So came back to Texas. Um, didn't hate Philadelphia. Hated, hated the, the, you know, having gold status on, you know, um, every major airline. Um, it's kind of a bad, it's a yeah. bad sign if you, if you have yeah. gold status, no, right? People want it. And I'm like, no, no, you don't dude. Like it doesn't give you anything. First of all, yeah. um, get on the plane and sit for an hour. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so did that, um, came back home, uh, lived in Dallas for a little bit, came to Houston in 07. Um, my wife's from here. Um, and was, uh, not an ultimatum, but very adamant that I join her in Houston. Um, and I was happy to, um, it's been, uh, the best decision I've made, you know, um, and she's also going to listen. So I'm telling her that now. Um, so, so, so you came here, it was 07? Yeah. 07. Okay. Yeah. 07. Um, I was at Merrill until they kind of went belly up. B of A came in and basically said like, look, we don't know if you're going to have a job. Maybe. Um, yeah. you're very low on the totem pole, so you can stay and you might have someone at your desk when you come back next week or not. And so I went to work for a hedge fund that we were doing some work with. We did a deal in South Texas called Blackbrush that was in the Eagleford, one of the first investments in the Eagleford from, from my understanding. Wow. Um, we drilled a few wells down there. They were successful. Um, and then the guys who did the investment, so the money from the other side, not the operator, they pulled me over and I started working for them. And so they were backed by um, a private equity shop in Mm -hmm. Boston um, that had a lot of power generation technology stuff that they were investing in, but then they wanted to build an EMP company. So I came in um, as employee number two on that deal. Um, We bought a bunch of assets in the Permian. We bought um, uh, an asset in the San Juan. Um, We bought two water flood properties one in Oklahoma, one in, in, in sort of in the panhandle where I went to school, um, and then uh, bought an asset in East Texas, South Texas, and then the one that killed the whole thing was the the platform that we bought in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we put all those together, we cleaned them up, um, we were operating them, everything was going really well until kind of the end of 13, sort of first quarter of 14. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so this is about five years of work. Um, and then we quickly like had a meeting, started scrambling and said, we got to get rid of all these things. Cause like, this is going down the toilet very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started divesting everything, returned some capital. And then I spent the last six months in bankruptcy court, you know, with trying to get rid of this platform that had toppled over in Katrina that we were trying to like clean up and, Oof, and sell. Oh, um, so don't ever like do a um, platform remediation. Like yeah. it's a horrible thing to be involved with, especially after the, the BP fiasco. Yeah. Six months of bankruptcy court and trying to clean up that mess. Sounds yeah. like hell. Yeah. And of course, like I'm the guy, like lowest person on the team, you know, the one who's like doing all the work, you know, behind the scenes and like, you look like you can handle this. So why don't you go ahead and take on that? Why don't you, um, just, why don't you just take care yeah, of this? Super stressful. Yeah. So let us know how it works out. Um, so yeah, so I kind of finished up that, um, was sitting on my hands, um, and, and had already been engaged with, um, this guy in, in Austin with SVB. Um, I told him so many times, like, I am not going to be good at banking because honestly, bankers, 
drive me freaking crazy, yeah. especially with um, an asset that's having a little bit of trouble and you know they're gonna get their money back, but it's just like a daily thing that I'm having to deal with and I don't wanna be a part of that industry. Um, and, and having spent time with him, I think I did 15 interviews total, like yeah. 12 formal <laughs> interviews and then three like kind of ad hoc interviews yeah. here and there. Um, it, it just occurred to me, it was just totally different. And, and also if you're kind of looking at it from a tech angle and, and from, um, uh, a disruptive angle, there's nobody doing what we're, what we're doing. I was going to say, I mean, you're, you know, you're biased because you're used to interfacing with oil and gas banks, right? And there's mm -hmm. nothing creative about no. oil and gas banking. <laughs> So I mean, no. why would I want to do that? <laughs> no. and, and just to be Board. clear, I'm not, not bashing other banks. They, they just have a different, like they have their own place and they're just not as good, you know? <laughs> no, it's, and, and they, what they do is, is fine. It's just not, it's not, it's fun. not, it's not great. Um, when things go wrong, which yeah. is where I think we're a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you meet up with him, you have, you know, a whole series of interviews. Um, I'm assuming I'm assuming that they have a pretty large team in Austin, just considering mm -hmm. the amount of tech startups in Austin. So I'm pretty sure that'd be a big branch, right? Yeah. So Austin is, um, definitely larger than Texas. Yeah. Um, so we are in Dallas, Austin and Houston now. Okay. So there's um, one in Dallas as well. Yep. Austin okay. was the flagship office and yeah. still, still sort of is, I mean, yeah. a lot of respect for what they do down there. Um, but they, they focus only on pure technology. So mm -hmm. think about, the same business that you would find in Palo Alto. Yeah. These, these guys are flocking to Austin right now. The money's flying into that, to that city. Um, so the team there is focusing on that. So anything that kind of, you know, touches oil and gas gets kicked back to get back to Houston to my yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. Cause we're a global practice. Like nobody, because of our sector expertise, which is important to note, um, nobody else in the bank can, can kind of touch what we're doing because we have, um, the framework built out for our investment committee or credit committee is what we call it. Yeah. Um, to actually get these deals done. So where, you know, Austin is focusing a lot on digital technology, mm -hmm. you know, similar stuff that you see in Silicon Valley, you guys are focusing on energy, oil and gas. And then what types of companies, I mean, are you only specifically focused on digital software technologies? Or are you guys looking at startups that are in the physical hardware space? You know, there's a lot of downhole tool type mm -hmm. startups. Um, you know, what do you guys look for? Yeah. So the best way to answer that is to tell you what we don't do. Um, so we don't do reserve based lending. Um, we don't <laughs> so, do, so, so no RBLs. <laughs> we don't do, yeah, we don't do acquisition financing. Um, although it twice a day I get asked to do it. Um, we don't, we don't help people, um, scout out, you know, new well sites and kind of lend into this wildcatting activity, yeah. um, that, that, you know, I probably would have been interested in, in, in a former career. Um, so, so that really leaves the door open to any company that has, um, either an oil field services slant mm -hmm. or, um, a production midstream or downstream slant. So we're basically chopping off, um, everything that goes on before the drill bit hits the dirt. Gotcha. Um, anything after that is fair game. But I would say that the, the tenets of that are that it's got to have technology and, and that technology needs to be borderline deep tech to where, um, very defensible, not a whole lot of competition. Mm -hmm. Um, so the tool companies and we do, we do bank tool companies. There's several that you probably are very familiar with here in town. Um, we love them when they have, um, uh, a tool that's, it's, it's sort of a novel tool. There's other people that do it, um, whether they compete with Halliburton or Baker. Um, but what they've done is something different. 
and whether it's in their supply chain, they figured out a way to to increase their margins at the com- at the operating company level, um, so that they can charge less in mm-hmm. the in the in the industry. But that's not the only thing. It's got to have. It's got to create some sort of efficiency. So, you know, when you're when you're talking about flat frack plugs and things like that, probably not a good fit. Yeah. But, but if you've got a drilling tool that'll do analytics and send it up to the surface, super interested in that. Yeah. Um, because that's very very difficult to do. Yeah. So with you guys having locations all over the world, and and, and particularly I mentioned in obviously here in Houston and then in Austin. Are you guys seeing any trends as to certain types of technologies that are that seem to be gaining steam, or are you noticing maybe you know one of the big things that we talk about a lot is everybody complains that there's not enough tech talent in Houston. Are you noticing maybe more accounts being launched in Houston, maybe the, the a sign of changing of the tides? Anything along those lines? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so it definitely the trends go up and down. Um, when we first started this, lots of OFS companies. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's got a tool, um, they're piloting it. It does something really cool that nobody's ever seen before. Um, huge cost saver, all these different anecdotes about the tool. Um, that quickly changed um, about, I don't know, I'd say 18 months ago when we started seeing more software. So we keep track of how much hardware exposure we have, which hardware for oil and gas guys, it's actually tools. Yep. Um, but for SVB, it's hardware. Um, and we and we also track how much software we have because those are the, kind of the two distinct buckets. They ebb and flow. So sometimes we see a ton of hardware opportunities and it's always in periods of lots of drilling activity, as you can imagine. Again, not brain surgery. You can follow what the rigs are doing, you can follow what the operators are doing. And then that's where the technology goes because it's just a natural deployment of, of, of you know, this particular type of tool and it, it goes where the drill bit goes. Um, but software is unique because software can be deployed on different pieces of the value chain. Um, more interestingly this year, especially with COVID, um, we've seen companies come out of the woodwork who are saying, okay, forget about mid, forget about upstream for a while. Like upstream still has a huge addressable market. Don't want to bash that. And I think it will come come back and recover. It's going to be different, but it's going to recover. Um, but let's focus on products that are moving because production may be curtailed, but it's still going to be pushing through these pipes. Like people still need basic energy and we're still going to export LNG and certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so these pipelines are... Uh, I hope in our lifetimes we never see them go dry, but they're they're always going to have fluids moving through them. Um, so why not figure out ways to analyze that or uh, do you know emissions testing on these lines or you know you know there's pigging technologies coming out to where you can inspect them mm-hmm. without a whole lot of downtime. So there's there's different ways to to play the midstream game um, on the tech side. You're seeing all kinds of like methane detection and like mm-hmm. microtech. You know, it's got artificial intelligence that can predict a leak in a pipeline before it happens. Yep. I mean, so there's all kinds of things happening in the midstream space. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just blown up. Um, and and then and then even more interestingly enough is that I think we've seen for the first time technologies pop up in downstream at, so that's whether be my next question, cause yeah. everybody complains, they're like, Oh, you don't have enough downstream companies on. We've had one mm-hmm. and that's because that's all we know because yeah. I think just by the nature of, of downstream and with it being very, very capital intensive projects, you kind of have to get almost like specced in to a facility, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't really facilitate an environment for startups to really thrive. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And, and not to mention the enormous amount of red tape that it yeah. takes to, to build relationships at various different business units in an organization, if it's mm-hmm. if it's a consolidated E and P company, um, 
to get into the asset, it's a perfect point to bring up. Um, plus there's insurance, there's liability issues, like refining is very, very tricky. And, and nobody wants to put a tool or a sensor onto something and shut the plant down. Yeah. Like that would be a monumental disaster. Um, but but to, to, and I, don't, I won't mention the name because I'm, I'm not here to advertise anybody, but two different um, strategies. One is um, there's a robotics company that can drop their robot into a tank battery. And so a lot of applications downstream, a lot of applications you know, upstream now with, with tanks just kind of sitting around. Um, this robot will do an inspection. It can be sent to the federal government for approval or the state government for approval. Um, there's no, uh, there's no downtime. Like if you're still pumping fluids into the tank, um, there's no injuries, you know, risk of someone having inhalants and getting sick. Uh, um, and, and the robot can do it, you know, I can't remember what the statistic is, but call it five times faster than a human being could, could mm-hmm. do the inspection. Um, reports everything real time from inside the tank. Um, and the addressable market for this is massive because tank batteries have to be inspected. There's like a log, a log book that has to be kept and there's rules around how many times a year or, or you know, however, however many three years they have to be inspected. Um, so I think that company is going to do very well. And that's an example. Um, there's other companies that we've seen pop up and you probably know, know them uh, as I'm describing them that are, that are playing midstream and downstream by helping to analyze the actual hydrocarbon moving through the system. Um, so that when that hydrocarbon and that fluid gets to the downstream asset owner, they're not surprised by what they're seeing. And mm-hmm. so what that does is it allows the midstream guys to keep their, their tolling fees without having any deducts because they've got something nasty in their gas or their oil. Um, but it also keeps the downstream guys happy because they're not having to reroute it. Once it gets down there, they can push it straight through. And it's all done in real time with a platform that's connecting these two types of, of people and asset owners. Um, and so those, I think those are, you know, I always sit here and I'm like, why didn't we think of that? 30 years ago, it seems like such an easy thing to figure out, but, but there's, um, it's, it's, it's going in and putting the sensors and, and selling, um, the cost savings and selling the subscription to a SaaS model business. And then, and there's a trust factor too, but I, but I think this company is going to do, going to do very well. Um, and just because I, I think that's, that's one of the last places where you can find cost efficiency is, is midstream and downstream. I think yeah. a lot of that, unfortunately, in my personal opinion, is that a lot of the cost savings has been accomplished upstream. I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm sure you guys could tell me, but I, I don't know where to find that right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of cost savings, but I think the entire capital structure of upstream is broken and I don't want to go on a rant right now because yeah. we'll be talking about <laughs> it for 20 minutes, but we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah. Um, you know, I got one last question for you. So say that there is a startup listening right now and they want to use uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, say it's Digital Wildcatters and mm-hmm. we want to come bank with you guys. I'm sure you have some sort of due diligence uh, process. You know, you're going to be looking for companies since you guys are taking high risk, you're probably going to be looking for companies that you know, you think have, um, a shot at making it. So what does that process look like if someone wants to use you guys? Yeah. I mean, so the, the main KYC thing is doing what we're doing right now and just sitting down and talking and letting me understand what you're trying to do. Um, making sure you're not, you know, sending arms to Nigeria, things like that. Um, Damn, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's one of the, you know, check the box. Revenue there. Stream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just, it's just knowing your client, 
is for that's banking 101 kyc um making sure there's an office i can't tell you how many times we the, the team and i have you know been on google maps trying to find you know this place to go meet somebody and ends up being you know a garage in the middle of nowhere where you're there's a 90% chance you're going to get killed while you're there. Um, and, and so just making sure that it exists, um, yeah. seeing the technology, um, that's more like when we're talking venture debt, like let's, let me see a field trial. You don't have to be in the field, but let me see, like, I'm sure you videoed it. Let me see the results of that. I just want to make sure that like we're yeah, on the same page here. Um, but the banking piece of it is super easy. I mean, it's, it's like a, 24 to 48 hour turnaround banking again is not brain surgery. Um, it's all KYC it's done online. We, we are unique in that our banking, um, relationship team, um, is all based in the U S um, they're in the same time zone as our clients. So wherever our client is, there's, there's a pretty good chance they're going to get them, you know, in the same time zone. They don't have to worry about missing that, that call. Um, and, and everything is done again, like I said, behind the web platform and, and on an app. Um, the debt side is where, you know, my team here in Houston is going to sit down with you and evaluate what that looks like. We're going to tell you what we think we can do. Um, we're going to work with you to, if you don't already have investors, like that's one of the, the, the major things that I spend my time on, um, is just connecting entrepreneurs to the investor community, yeah. um, which I think is a real value add. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've For helped sure. some people maybe not. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I don't, you know, and that's always what I tell people, like, I'm not trying to promise you anything, but like, if you come with us, not only do you get you know, the Rolodex of everybody we know in, in Houston and Louisiana and, and elsewhere. But like, if you want a VC from the West coast to come look at your business, like we can make that happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, but, that's pretty cool. But the process is very, very simple. It's yeah. no different than you would have any other bank. Yeah. Well, I'm convinced we gotta, we gotta switch banks, man. Well, I, I did mean, my job today. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna hold you to it. I want to sit down with, in, I want to sit down with Andreessen Horowitz next week. We can try. Let's make it yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, Kelly, man, I appreciate you coming on yeah. the show. It's awesome. Um, you know, are you on LinkedIn? Can people find you on LinkedIn? LinkedIn. I don't okay. do any other social media. Okay. So all right. Unfortunately, so, no Facebook. All right. Um, so you're on LinkedIn. So yeah. we'll have uh, a link to that in our show notes. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you through Silicon Valley bank, do they go to, to, uh, SVB's website or is there a URL, URL specific to Houston? You, you can Google my name and okay. SVB and it'll pop up. There okay. might kind be some kind old, of a big deal. Yeah, yeah no, Google it's not that. It. It's not that. It's, it's just, like, it's just good SEO. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, exactly. I, I think there's people around that, that are just promoting, you know, our, our bankers out there because, you know, you could, you could, there may be some strange pictures of me like riding a bike on there. I think we've deleted all those like from the triathlon days, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Super easy to find. Awesome. Um, we we're downtown, um, in the Wells Fargo Plaza. So Perfect. easy accessible. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. We'll put uh, some links in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to Silicon Valley bank and Kelly, check out those links. Great guy. Highly recommend them. I think we're going to be switching awesome. to SVB. So yeah, let's do it. It's great to actually <laughs> finally meet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've been trying for a while yeah, and, and I think I met, I met you guys like it had to have been two years ago when you were sort of, um, getting kicked off and ramping was up. It at the, was it at the SVB party? I, I think it was. We went to that. Yeah, yeah. The, I think that was the hotel. Yeah, it's Zaza. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. That's that's also the place. That place was so fancy. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and thank God I don't have to pay for that myself. Um, yeah, but good, you know, we'll we'll have to um, we'll have to do this more often. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate the time. Cool. All right, guys, if you enjoy the episode, uh, please take two seconds to leave a rating review. Send it to all your colleagues, family, friends, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode.